This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we continue our series on images we find in the desert. We will learn about the arar and tamarisk trees and what they teach us about living in our own deserts. And I uh, just want to point out we do have our map of discussion groups available on the website now, so check that out on the schedule page. And uh, if you want to start a discussion group but don't know how to go about doing that, get in touch. We would love to help. Yeah, I wanted to be able to throw that up there and let people see. Some of you might be like, I don't really know what you're asking from me. So now we got uh, some groups that have, have agreed to kind of pilot this idea for us. So now you can go online and pull that up and you can see what we're doing there. And um, we're just basically putting some markers. And all that you're going to see is the name of the group, be it Bema Cape Coral, Bema South Bend, uh, whatever, and and then a first name. We're not putting full names out there, just first names. So Tom, and then an email or any other form of contact that you would prefer. So just those three pieces of information. Uh, we really want it to be unintrusive. Um, we don't want to put a bunch of information out there, just enough for people to get connected uh, and be able to follow up with you. So um, you can get on there, check it out, and see if uh, if you look at it and you're like, oh, I, I'd be willing to do that. You'll notice a few of the groups are called launch groups. Um, what that means is that uh, they would love to have a discussion group. There's only one, maybe two of them. Like there's really not enough for a discussion group, but they they would love to if somebody else was out there. So that's what the term launch group means. And so if you're one of those, there's a lot of people out there that uh, just listening to it by themselves and would love to connect with somebody. And uh, we can put you on there as a launch group and uh, see if uh, anybody else out there comes across your path. So there you go. Pretty exciting. Yep. Good stuff. So let's talk about trees. All right. So, yeah, we've been talking about uh, desert images. We are coming towards the end of Torah. We went through the book of Genesis. We talked about the preface and the introduction. Uh, we we set up the story by talking about the big conceptual ideas. Who is God? Who is man? What is this world like? And what is God up to? And as we kind of caught these big picture ideas, the introduction, Genesis 12 through 50, uh, took us into the family of God. And so this is what this means when we... When we take these big picture ideas and we apply them to real life practical situations, uh, this is what it looks like. This is what a partner with God looks like as they wrestle with the story. And um, then that set up God's narrative, which really began in the book of Exodus. We talked about God's rescue in the story of the plagues. We talked about uh, God's wedding at Mount Sinai. And then we talked about how God built this honeymoon suite. Um, a retelling of Genesis 1 or the place that the priests would work. Um, because at the end of, or should we say the middle of the book of Leviticus, God tells his people that if they will marry him and enter into this special relationship with him, uh, they will be a kingdom of priests. But they need to know what a priest is. So they got a whole bunch of questions. What does it mean to be a priest? And so we went through the whole book of Leviticus in one podcast. Uh, this whole book basically dedicated to what does it mean to be a priest? And I had some great conversation in our discussion groups about that and... Uh, uh, that's what Leviticus ends up becoming, kind of like this big manual for for priesthood. So what we've been doing now is kind of going to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers ends up being this time where the Israelites spend this honeymoon period in the desert. Um, in fact, that's what we're going to call Numbers in our review, is honeymoon in the desert. Um, so in order to truly understand that, we could go through the text of Numbers, and we will do that here in a couple podcasts coming up. Uh, but we just wanted to get acquainted with the desert, which is impossible to do over a podcast. It's ridiculous. Um, but we're going to do our best anyway. And uh, sometime you got to actually come with me over to Israel. We can actually get acquainted with the desert, literally. And, oh, and uh, acquainted you will be. 
<laughs> nice and hot. I don't go over any other time of the year except August and September because that's when you got to do it over there. Um, if you really want to experience the desert, that's the time. So we try to bring some of the things that we've learned and, and bring them here and try to give them to you. You have to operate your imaginations, but that's what we've been doing. So we talked about shepherd. Um, shepherd is one of the images that you find in the desert. You learn all about what it means to lead. You learn what it means to listen to the voice. Uh, you learn two different kinds of leadership. Uh, one of the things we do is we, we juxtapose empire and shalom. We talk about this narrative of God, a tale of two kingdoms, empire versus shalom. And, um, and one of the things that we can do that with is, is this image of if empire was stick, we can remember uh, empire, Pharaoh had the stick that he was using. If empire is stick, then shalom is shepherd and voice. If empire is Pharaoh and his stick, then shalom is shepherd and his voice. Instead of leading with fear and coercion and and a stick, the desert teaches us how to lead with our voice as a shepherd taking care of flocks. Uh, so that's what we talked about. And then we looked at two trees in our last podcast. We talked about the rotum. And we talked about shade. And uh, if you've ever experienced a desert heat, shade uh, will never be something that you don't notice as you read the Bible. And we also talked about the acacia in Psalm 1. And so we're going to pick up there. And today we're going to talk about the arar and the tamarisk. But let's start with the arar. Uh, I want to just kind of introduce you to the arar. You've got some pictures uh, that we've linked or put in a presentation of some kind on the site there in the show notes. So make sure you pull that up because that's going to make all the difference here. Uh, You will not get it by simply listening to me. You'll definitely want to see it. But the arar bush... Boy, if you ever see one in the desert, can you remember the the day we ran across the Arar, uh, Brent? What was that, that was our first day. Yeah. It was that, at the end of that wadi. Uh-huh. And it's like, wow, that looks nice. Yeah, sticks out like a huge, like in the desert, all this dry. And there's some green, but it's got like a particular kind of like desert hue, like what you'd expect. And then like sticking out is this bright green, luscious bush that just kind of and so you go over there and it looks just beautiful and it's got these grapefruit sized fruit on it and uh it just looks to the eye this thing is like oh my goodness what is this bush this is and so you take this i love to take students there we we pull the fruit off of this bush and we're like tell me about like what do you think this must be like and they're like oh this must be like juicy I don't know if I can eat it, but it's got to be delicious. It's just like, oh, this has got to be something. Like, what a gift in the desert. In fact, this bush and its fruit is toxic and poisonous. Um, I do not believe it has enough to be fatal, but it definitely will cause some major, major problems if you were to try to ingest it. It's got a milky substance in the stem and in the um, in the body of the fruit itself. But the other thing about it is you take this fruit and it looks like, you know, you take it, it's kind of, it feels a little buoyant. And like I said, it's about the size of a softball, about the size of a grapefruit. And so you go to peel it or pull it open and there's this sound, like a popping sound, like and all of a sudden, there's nothing in it. It's completely, totally empty. You would never know that when you take it off the bush because it feels full. It feels buoyant. It feels like there's something there. But it's absolutely, completely empty except for a toxic, uh, milky substance around the edges. And, and It no- kind of looks like cobwebs or something. Yeah, like it has yeah, this, it does. Like, yep. uh, this structure to it that... Absolutely. Ugh 
The whole thing is just absolutely shocking. And if you look at the picture, you'll see this amazing bush. And if you look at the picture, I believe you have one with the fruit on the tree. Like everything about it is just like, oh my goodness, this has just got to be a credit. And then you have a picture of it being opened up. And we haven't taken anything out of it. That's what it looks like on the inside. And uh, what a deceptive thing. And so, um, and again, I, I should point out, by the way, when we're talking about trees and biblical botany and any of this kind of stuff, there, there's such a wide, it's always debated, like trees, what 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 actual tree, what actual bush is the Bible talking about here and here and here? And there's such a huge argument. Some people come at it from a pure botany standpoint. Some people come at it from a pure textual standpoint. Some people combine the two, but there's always this huge argument. I just actually finished a a text um, not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, uh, on biblical botany, and it just disagreed with a lot of what I'd been taught. I did not give it a very good rating on uh, Goodreads. But nevertheless, um, totally disagreed with a lot of things I was taught. Uh, So I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. I'm working off the work of a guy by the name of Noga Haruvini. And uh, Noga Haruvini really literally wrote the textbook that is used today at some of the most respected archaeological institutions. So uh, over at Hebrew University um, in Israel, that's in Jerusalem, um, that is required reading for students of the Bible. Um, he is seen today as kind of the leading expert, not that there aren't other experts that would disagree with him, like the text I just read. Um, but I just think he's spot on. He's the one that has taught my teachers that have taught me. And uh, I, I just... Yeah, he's he's the source that I'm using academically uh, to have these conversations. But um, one of the reasons he believes that this is the Arar and not another option is because of how it's used in the text. And so Arar shows up in Genesis, not Genesis, excuse me, shows up in Yirmiyahu, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17. And so, Brent, I'm going to have you pick up there. Verse, uh, let's see here, looks like we got verse 5. And uh, go ahead and start reading what it says there. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in a man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. There's a... The word that's used for bush there. So cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like, and the word here is arar. A-R apostrophe A-R is how a lot of people transliterate it. The arar bush. We just say bush in the English in the translation, but it's actually the arar. He will be like an arar in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Now, go ahead and finish this passage. And this is going to sound familiar from last week's podcast. It's almost going to be a carbon copy or at least very, very similar. It's not a verbatim copy, but it's going to sound very similar to Psalm 1. So go ahead and finish this passage here. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Okay, so now we have uh, that discussion that we saw in Psalm 1 with which tree was that, Brent? 
That was the acacia. The acacia. Now, what I love about that, and what I totally think Noga Haravini is completely right here uh, when he identifies these two trees, is this passage in Jeremiah would be juxtaposing the arar with the acacia, which I love that. Jeremiah is talking about two different people. One person trusts in man, trusts in the power and the strength of their own flesh. They don't trust in the Lord. They turn away from the Lord, and they trust in what they are able to do and produce. The other person trusts in the Lord, not in what they can do and produce. And Jeremiah connects them to two trees. And I think the connection is brilliant because the first one will be like an arar bush, the one who trusts in man. And the thing about this bush is, boy, you know what the person that trusts in man, the person that trusts in man is, boy, looks good on the outside. Looks, uh, my, it, it appears that he has it all together. Like, I don't know if we ever look around us and we think, I'm trying to walk the path of God well. And it seems like everybody who mocks the path of God seems to have it all together. Um, Jeremiah says, the one who trusts in flesh, he's like an arar bush. He looks amazing on the outside, but inside he's just full of death and toxic emptiness. Now, however, the one who trusts in the Lord is like an acacia tree. And if you remember what we talked about in our last podcast, what did we kind of say about the acacia tree? If it's juxtaposed to the arar, how is it different? Well, the acacia tree doesn't necessarily look like much. That's right. It can look completely dead. Completely dead. And then 10 years later, when the rain comes, it bursts to life. Yes. And I love Jeremiah's juxtaposition here because you have the arar bush, which looks good on the outside, but but on the inside is nothingness. And then you have the acacia, which looks like it's dead, and yet deep inside of its bones, not that the tree has bones, but deep inside of its bones, it has... uh, it has everything it needs to become the gift of the desert. And just when you understand the trees of the desert, these passages kind of leap off the page way more than they ever did uh, before. And I love Jeremiah's usage here. So anyway, that's the arar bush. And I tell you what, the description here matches perfectly the setting that we found the arar tree. Absolutely. The wasteland, the parched places, the the place where no one lives. Like that's exactly... <laughs> That's right, we found found it. it. And it looked so odd because you just would, that's not the place you would expect to find it in the middle of absolute nothingness. But there it was, just chilling. Um, Looked good, but it's not. Looked really good. And the acacia tree, well, well, it didn't look that great. But boy, the people that live in the desert say that's the tree. And like the acacia, like it says its leaves are always green and sure. But it's like this dusty kind of like faded green. Sure. It doesn't seem that appealing. Mm Mm-hmm. And we kind of saw a tree that was kind of in half bloom. And what I think uh, the Hebrew here, when it says uh, it's, 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 its leaves never fail to be green, I think the, the insinuation here is, is it perseveres. Not right. that it's always constantly green, but it never fails to be green. Um, it will always be green when it's supposed to be green. Yeah. And uh, I like that a lot. Well, in the end, it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. It's like, yeah, even though the drought may come, once the water's back, it will give you the fruit. Absolutely. Yep. All right, so we got one last tree to talk about. Uh, and I think this might wrap up our podcast with this last tree, but we have a tree called the tamarisk. Um, and it's a little bit about the tamarisk before we see where it shows up in uh, the text. Um, but uh, the tamarisk tree, 
there's lots, again, there's lots of different kinds of tamarisk. There are bushes and shrubs and all kinds of variations of the tamarisk. And then there's the tamarisk tree. The tamarisk tree is a tree that is almost always planted. It can grow naturally in its own habitat, but it's usually planted, especially when you find it in the desert. Uh, the tree is planted because it requires a little bit of cultivation. The thing about the tamarisk tree is it's kind of a luxury tree. It's not going to grow on its own. It requires a little bit of work, but the uh, it's also known as a salt cedar. The, the leaves, the foliage of the tree absorbs what little bit of moisture there is in the air. And I say a little bit of moisture because there ain't much in the desert. But whatever it is, it's getting blown off of maybe the Dead Sea or depending on which direction you're at or where you're coming from. Uh, Whatever little bit of moisture is in the air, the tree takes that out of the air and then puts it out in its shade. And I've been told that the shade is about 15% cooler. I don't know exactly what that means, but the shade is, is significantly cooler in the tamarisk tree than it will be in any other just typical desert shade. Um, so it's kind of this luxurious, uh, I don't want to like luxury tree, like whatever I'm trying to communicate by that, but it's, it's not a tree that's just going to ha- you're going to happen upon it. it requires a little bit of work but the other stunning thing about the tamarisk tree is it takes 80 years to grow the lifespan on a tamarisk to get to full height and full maturity is 80 years which means what brent you're not planting it i'm not planting it for me that's right and maybe not even my children <laughs> right like one of the things that the ra- that the rabbis teach, the tamarisk tree shows up uh, significantly in rabbinic discussion. Um, you you plant a tamarisk tree for your grandkids; they're the ones that are going to truly uh, enjoy the work and the cultivation of a tamarisk tree. Uh, you don't plant a tamarisk tree for you; you'll never see the fruit of that labor. You do it for other people, and um, and so one of the rabbinical teachings that they have is they ask this question: How many tamarisk trees did you plant today? How many things do you do uh, each and every day that are going to live on beyond you? How many things do you do in your day that your grandchildren are going to reap the benefits from? There was a few podcasts ago, uh, Brent, where we talked about spiritual disciplines. Uh, In fact, in one of our discussion groups, I I got quite worked up about spiritual disciplines because when we do these things and when we give our life to them and to even think about the acacia tree in Psalm 1, to meditate on his text day and night and day and night and day and night, whether I feel like it or not, whether the warm fuzzy gets to me or not, whether I think that it's working or ever I'm going to see the fruit in my lifetime, I'm going to give myself to these disciplines. I'm going to create space for God because I know what are the things the rabbis would say that you have done today that are going to live on far beyond you? What are the things that you've done that your grandchildren are going to benefit from? Uh, That's the idea of the tamarisk tree. How many tamarisk trees did you plant today? So much of what we do day in and day out is about my own personal experience, my own walk with God, what I'm going to see the benefit from, the fruit that's going to be born in my life. And the rabbis say one of the things we learn in the desert, one of the things we learn, is how to do things that live far beyond us, to do things that I might never see the benefit of. And I think about Hebrews 11 and the hall of faith and all these people that saw God's promise and welcomed it from a distance because they knew that it would be uh, only together with us would their sacrifices be made perfect. That is a tamarisk tree. Um, And so one of my favorite passages, a simple little line here that we would never notice, we would read over, 
but just to me is so moving is at the end of Genesis 21, uh, Abimelech, Avimelech, and, uh, and Avraham are making this treaty. And at the end of the story, uh, last uh, few verses here of Genesis 21, after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Pilishtim. Avraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Avraham stayed in the land of the Pilishtim for a long time. And what I love about that, that we would never read without studying the tamarisk tree, is Avraham plants this tree, and in planting the tree is making a statement internally and externally. He says, we're going to be here in this land that God promised us for a long time. So I'm going to plant in my old age a tamarisk tree, because when my grandson is here, he's still going to be here. That's how much I trust in the promises of God. And uh, I just love one of my favorite verses in Genesis is that verse there. Is there any mention of it uh, with Jacob later on? Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Hmm. Not that I'm aware of. Um, He does go back to, let's see, Bethel. Um, Trying to think if he ever shows up at Beer Shiva. What a wonderful question. Uh, Nothing's ringing any bells. If he doesn't, what does that say about Jacob? Yeah. Yeah, is anybody taking care of the tamarisk tree? Boy, maybe there's some stuff we should look into. Any of our listeners out there want to look into that? Find anything juicy? Let us know. We'd be glad to hear from you. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. That's it for this week. Two more trees. If you live on the Palouse or if you live anywhere in the United States or even around the world, um, join us for discussion groups. Find find a discussion group near you. Uh, We're in uh, Moscow on Tuesday, Pullman on Wednesday. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at baymodiscipleship.com. Thanks for joining us on the Baymod Podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.